welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonia. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today we get to finish our sad unit, which is another Neil Schusterman book, Full Tilt. And because it's Schusterman and tragic, this was obviously picked out by Asia. I definitely was not reading all these super dark and tragic things as a child. Yeah, that seems to be a common theme on this show for me. But for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. And today is our 100th episode. I can't believe we've made it through 100 episodes already. I feel like... 100 episodes? I feel like we just started this, like, a few months ago, but it's... I mean, we're already coming up on two years of doing this show, which is just insane. That's crazy. That's crazy. And we also don't, like, we obviously pre-record a little bit, so we don't even do, like, holidays off. No, yeah, so we just literally, power through all year round. It's been exactly 100 weeks, so almost well, just, like, a month shy A of, little bit less than 100 weeks, because we started the show with the three episodes oh, at once. Oh, with three episodes, you're right. So 97 weeks, but close enough. It's a lot of time. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, but, but as, Anyway, continue. As we mentioned... In previous episodes, we are actually doing a giveaway over on Instagram to celebrate, and today is the last day to enter, so make sure that you check out our Instagram at The Nerd Party, and we love our listeners, you all, so much, and we wanted to do something to say thank you for supporting us, and we're going to be giving away a Barnes & Noble gift card, like I said, over on Instagram, so all of the info on how to enter will be over there, so make sure to check it out since today is the last day to enter. And... Back to this episode. As Charles said, I picked out these four sad, kind of tragic books to sort of be a themed unit. And starting next week, we'll be going back to a Charles pick. But since I did pick this out, I'm just going to go ahead and give a little bit of an intro, as always. And this one's going to be pretty short and sweet because... If you're a regular listener of Throwback Paperback, we've already covered a few things by Neil Schusterman. So if you want to hear more about him as an author, I would recommend our episode on Bruiser. That's the first book we covered by him. And we've also covered the Skinjacker trilogy. But for Full Tilt, this book was published in September 2004. So it was one of his earlier novels. And it's received a ton of awards. And it's basically described as a psychological thriller. And Schusterman has written over 30 novels, so this is not really one of his most known books. So honestly, I couldn't find that much online about the book or about his inspiration for writing it. But as I've mentioned before in some of our episodes on Neil Schusterman's work, I did read these books in middle school because Neil Schusterman, the author, he actually spoke in my seventh grade English class. And I remember him specifically recommending this book as, like, being super cool and, like, fast-paced. So, like, I really wanted to cover it on the show because of that because I remember really enjoying this as a kid and, like, really looking forward to reading it. So that's why I wanted us to do this one. But that's pretty much it for the intro today. Like I said, short and sweet. And I get to summarize the reading in case you forgot what happened. So Blake and his friends Russ and Maggie and his little brother Quinn go to an amusement park. 
They then get invited to a secret after party, which basically turns out to be a mental game test trippy experience with fair ground rides that basically put the riders through traumatic emotional turmoil all orchestrated by this pretty girl called Cassandra. If you are confused, that's okay. I am confused too. In order to escape this psychedelic trap thing, the jig, whatever it is, the boys have to forgive each other. And most importantly, Blake has to forgive himself for being the sole survivor of a school bus accident years ago. That trauma has been haunting him for almost a decade. And he's living with a type of PTSD, I believe, but he does manage to sort of come to terms with it at the end of the book, and that frees him to move on with the rest of his life. So for me, my impression was that at the end I was like, was this all in their head or not? I think we'll talk about it more because that's probably the most interesting question we can talk about when we talk about the book. Yeah. But I enjoyed the book. I did like the reveal at the end of Blake's coming to terms with his trauma, And I do really love the moral of the story, this need for self-forgiveness. I really enjoyed that. But it was kind of like a pleasant book. I read it in one day. It was was pleasant. That's about it. I, I don't feel strongly that it was profound. I don't feel strongly that I need to read it again. I didn't dislike it at all. You know, it's just kind of there. So for my impression, I'll say that honestly, I didn't really remember much about the plot at all. And I will say, I definitely think this is one of those books I enjoyed more as a kid. And I also think this is also a book I feel like you really might like it on the first time you read it because there's the big reveal and you don't know what's happening. Whereas even though I didn't remember specific plot points, I did know what the reveal was. So I feel like it kind of took me out of the story a little bit because I knew what was going to happen at the end. Like I knew how it was going to end. So I don't like hate it or like dislike it a lot but I also just didn't remember how unrealistic it is like it's way more fantastical than I had remembered and so as an adult I think I was just way more like I just wasn't as interested in it this time around as I was when I read it for the first time in middle school I wasn't even interested this time anyway so (laughs) Blake is a 16 year old prodigy He's about to go off to Columbia to start his freshman year super early. And Quinn is his younger brother, and Quinn is a rebel. Honestly, Quinn is a little bit of a mess. Yeah, he is. And I think that's another thing, like, reading this, as an adult, I was like, he's going to Columbia at 16? Like, that's definitely not something I feel like I realize, like, the profoundness of that. Like, what? That's crazy. Like, he's moving away from his family, like, to go to college, like, so young. Yeah. I mean, but Blake is fine. I, I, I mean, obviously, Blake, we know that he's dealing, he's suppressing some things, but I think he would be fine. Well, no, 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 it's not about him being fine. I'm just more so, like, I feel like as a kid, like, I was like, I don't even know what that, what does that mean? Like, well, that's what is also, college? You know, we were, you would have been reading this around the time High School Musical 3 came out, and in that movie, they, Disney fully tried to convince us that Juilliard has recruiters that go looking for very, very specific high school theater performers to see them in their high school theater productions Yeah, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Is that even realistic? Like, do people... I mean, I know people graduate early, I guess, but, like... People graduate early, yeah. That... This was not unrealistic to me that someone... Like, if you started school when you were five, 
instead of six, and then you graduate, and then you skip a year at some point? I guess I'm more so just thinking of it, like, like, I'm thinking now, like, of, like, everyone I know. Like, I don't know a single person who, like, skipped a grade or, like, who graduated high school early. Like, I don't know anybody like that. So I think, for me, I'm just thinking of, as a kid, I was like, that's so cool, but now I'm like, that's such a rarity, I feel like, at least from my perspective. Like, I don't know if you know a bunch of people who did that, but... I don't know anybody who, like... Yeah, I knew a fair number of people who skipped Like, grades. you know people who went to college at 16? No, that's, that's pretty what I mean. Early, Not, but... like, people skipped a grade, but, like, to be able to... You got so ahead that you were leaving for college at age 16. Like, to me, that just sounds insane. That's valid. Well, anyway, the four of them go on a very scary roller coaster that collapses. It was part of the design. And I just want to say I hated it. I was, like... Especially because, you know, we've been reading last three books right that we read no looking out for alaska i mean alaska does die but like particularly lovely bones and elsewhere where the protagonist dies and then we're dealing with them from the dead i was like, like i swear oh gosh, to god here we go if, if this character right if i have to watch this character die on a roller coaster and then have him like watch his family for the rest of this book i'm gonna be so annoyed and bored yeah this one definitely was i feel like the least like not not necessarily least sad, but it just, like, you're not really dealing with a death of a main character. You're dealing more with, like, trauma. No, but it's still, I still think it totally, it fits in. I mean, he's, but anyway, I was just, like, I hate it. I also don't like roller coasters. I don't go on them. And so I totally understood why he didn't want to go on it. And then when Russ was like, I thought you knew the roller coaster dissolves, like, it breaks, and this is a visual effect. And I was like, I literally would never assume that about a roller coaster. And two, I would definitely not want to go on that. Yeah, I also feel like I wonder if that's, like, actually realistic. Like, if that's something that could be made in the real world, like, even now, like... I mean, I'm sure. We've all been on the Harry Potter roller coaster. I mean, that one's a visual one, but, like... But I'm thinking, like, this is, like, an actual outdoor roller coaster. Like, it could make it so it literally... Like, yeah, not like you're inside, like, on a screen or some sort of effects but if like mechanically they were able to make it look like the tracks are falling away yeah that's i'm sure that we that's could do not that. a ride i want to go on i don't need that's to a, but it sounds miserable I don't need to experience that like idea of thinking you're gonna die i don't really need that in my life so then after they go on the roller coaster blake ends up meeting a pretty girl named cassandra who he she's basically like running one of those like carnival games and she gives him a very creepy bear as a prize and an invitation and then he like looks away and when he looks back she's gone she's just vanished into thin air and (laughs) at this point i wrote down that you know if you get a weird note from a girl who disappears right after speaking to you Like, you probably shouldn't do whatever the letter says, or, like, if it's an invitation, like, you probably shouldn't go because, you know, stranger danger and all. Like, I just... But we know that he was going to go, or he was going to eventually have to go because the plot has to continue. Yeah, I mean, it's quite ill-advised. And he doesn't want to do it. It's... They don't even do it originally. But they get home. Quinn and Blake fight. Quinn basically ends up catatonic, and Blake realizes that he must have gone to the amusement park. And this is when I personally, as a reader, start to lose. I started to not enjoy the book or like I disconnected from the book because Blake, like he sees the reflection of carnival lights in 
Quinn's eyes. To me, if I saw my little brother, catatonic, and I know everything I know about Quinn, this rebel kid, I would just be like, he's definitely on some drugs. Like, so I wouldn't even go to the assumption that, like, I wouldn't go, like, investigate his eyes like that. But then, two, how does he know to get to this amusement park? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me because when the, when, so Blake and Russ and Maggie, they drive over to the address and then they kind of, like, they get to the address and then they mentally go into, like, the space for the carnival rides, for the carnival rides for the fair. But... Quinn didn't do that. Like, did Quinn walk there in his dreams? Because his body is still in the house. Does that make sense? Like, I don't understand how you enter the fairgrounds, even if they're mental. Like, does that make sense? I understand that. I think that is kind of a plot hole because, well, to your first point of, like, why did he even, why did Blake make the connection between, like, the carnivalites and, like, that's where Quinn could be as opposed to, like, him just being on drugs? Well, I think, didn't Quinn, like, have the, like, little invitation, like, on his person? Oh, so maybe, like Blake, sure. Like, with the sure, two sure, sure. things was, like, he must have went to the thing and somehow it's, like, inside his mind. And, but as far as, yes, like, how did Quinn get over there but then his body is still here? Maybe he, maybe he did do drugs or something and, like, that was enough to, like, mentally take him to the carnival. Whereas, but, like, you see my point, right? Also... That it's, like, it feels... Also, I would say maybe, like, maybe Quinn did walk over there, but then, like, I don't know. To me, that I totally agree with you. That's, like, a total plot hole that, like, no idea. Yeah, just, like, how does he get there? But I would say, like, with how the book ends and stuff, I feel like there's a lot left un- unexplained, so I feel like it's at least, like, okay, that's not, like, the only question. I feel like not... It's kind of, like, this is a weird situation, Yeah, that's true. So the three of them, Blake, Russ, and Maggie, get there, and they are told once they enter that they have to go on seven rides before dawn to escape. And if I remember correctly, which this is what I was writing down as I read it, is that all of the carnival rides are kind of to help Blake accept what happened with the bus accident because... As we kind of, like, learned throughout the book, he survived this bus accident where, like, he didn't save anyone. He was only able to save himself. And, like, he needs to basically come to terms with that. Yeah. Well, your memory about the rides is totally correct. So, like you sort of indicated, Blake has been haunted by this accident when he was seven. When he was in a school bus, the school bus lost control, and only he survived. And his remaining memory is, like, very clearly incorrect or, like, incomplete at least. Because he just remembers not being able to open the emergency door, and then he wakes up in the hospital. So, like, and he's the only survivor of this accident, and he doesn't, he literally does not know what happened. So, as we see, he's going to figure it out in a second. But they're on these, like, carnival rides in this, again, they drove somewhere, but it mostly seems like it's a mental state that they're in. And the rides are very realistic very violent and very trippy. And they see people, like, dying. People are falling off the rides, like, going to work in the operations of the rides. People become the scenery of the rides, people that don't make it. And again, this is, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, like, sort of the the lack of clarity for me of, like, are these all, like, 
teenagers somewhere in the country who are in comas right now because they've been trapped in this mental state? Or is this all just part of the experience? Is it a one-night-only event? Like, again, and we just don't get explanations for that. And for me, my brain, I'm just like, I'm I'm just a little confused. I'm like, <laughs> well, it's like one person, he's like, I've been serving. Is it a one-night-only He's only been event? the bartender for like 30 years. And I'm like, have you just been in a coma for 30 years? So, yeah, so my assumption would be that, yes, so pretty much, like, the explanation is, if you die on a ride, you become part of the scenery, so, like, you're, like, dead, like, you literally become part of the ride. If you survive and don't make it through the seven rides before dawn, you get trapped or caught, I think is what they call it in the book, so those are the people who are alive, like, the attendants, the, like, people taking tickets, the people, like, the actual living people in the rides those are other souls whatever you want to call them people who got caught in the ride so yes based off of that i would assume that yes all the people who are caught in there their bodies are in comas somewhere around the world so yes that's what i would assume We, we don't get a straight answer on that but i think that's like one of those things that it's like because it's not really central to blake's story it's not really relevant in terms of like we don't really need to know that i guess i just you know, obviously I wanted to know. But I am assuming that, based off of my personal opinion, I would assume that, yes, all those people who are there are in comas, and the people who died on the ride, maybe they're just really dead. Like, their heart stopped. Their body, their heart stopped. Okay. <laughs> so, then Blake catches up to Quinn in these rides, and he's like, we have to do this together, we have to get out together. And Quinn's like, I want to keep going, I'm enjoying the thrill, and he's like, I want to, like, leave everything behind. Because Quinn, again, is a, a hormonal teenage mess. And, but then, and again, and then, like, Blake says, you're in a coma. And Quinn's like, I don't care. And then Quinn runs away. And neither of them, again, just like we said, we don't know what happens to them if they, we don't know what happens to them in the real world if they don't make it through the seven rides. Like, we literally have no idea. But Quinn runs off. So, and he also loses the other two. Like he's, they're yeah, just like they're, all they're just separated, trying to figure their amusement way park rides. around this place. So after Quinn runs off, Blake finds Maggie, whom he apparently has always had a crush on, and they're like in this maze of mirrors, and he ends up losing her at the end because. Basically, I, this is where I got a little frustrated because they figure out in order to, like, get out of the ride. Well, so in this ride with the mirrors, basically, the mirrors, like, kind of show you, like, the worst things about yourself. And they, like, transform you. Like, so kind of, like, taking your insecurities and, like, actually making them into physical deformities on your body. And Blake realizes that the way out of the ride is you have to, like, kind of embrace it. So, you like, every time you walk through a mirror, your body changes and, like, distorts more and more and more as you continue going through the mirrors. But once you get to a certain point, it starts to basically have the reverse effect and you start to become more normal and normal. So, him and Maggie, they're, like, holding hands, like, going through all of these mirrors, going, going, going. And then they reach the last mirror, and I guess Blake's just so focused on himself that he steps through and, like, never realizes that he let go of Maggie's hand and, like, Maggie let go of his hand. So she, and once he's through, he, like, can't 
she can't hear him anymore because, like, now the glass is solid on that side. And so he's, like, telling her to step. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. So he's telling her to, like, step through, but she can't hear him. But then she looks, like, to her right, and one of the bad mirrors is, like, telling her how ugly she is or something. And so then she ends up falling through a mirror, and she ends up going totally crazy and just gets totally lost there. So he loses her. So I was just like, how do you even realize, how do you not realize that you've let go of someone's hand? Like, how do you not notice that? But also, I mean, not even just blaming Blake, but why didn't Maggie, like, hold on for dear life to his hand? Like, why are they, like, are their hands sweaty? Like, I don't understand why they couldn't have held on tighter. It, yeah, it's really. It was just, like, a little pitiful to me, honestly. But I guess, like, as far as where the plot was going, it makes sense that she had to get left behind to kind of remind Blake of leaving behind everyone else on the bus because, as I said, I'm assuming that the rides are kind of forcing him to face the bus accident and also by losing her, then he has to face the next three rides that he has left alone. So, like, I understood, like, plot-wise, but I was just, like, it seemed, like, a little, like, stupid (laughs) that I was, like, they lost each other because they didn't realize they were holding hands anymore? Well, also, like, they've been going through mirrors for, like, what? a hundred gajillion hours and also 20 minutes. And like, she gets to one final mirror that she hasn't been through and she like forgets to go through it. Like, I mean, I know that the yeah, mirrors I make mean, them like dislike themselves and I'm like, you've been just running, running through mirrors together. And like, you just stopped in the last mirror. Like, I don't know that to me, I don't know. I guess it's also like yeah, kind of to like show like, okay. That, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, it's also, yeah, it's just, like, a little okay. Like, we know you had to, like, push the plot along, so you just kind of threw that in I guess it kind of shows that, like, Blake likes Maggie for Maggie. Like, he still loves her, even when she's being insecure, even when she's, like, at her worst. But I'm like, I don't care. This isn't a love story about them at all. Like, it's not a love story about them. It's a, if anything, it's a love story between two brothers who are, like, coming to terms with that. Oh, yeah. So it's just, like, I don't... He doesn't have to have a love interest in Maggie. And I I don't care that... Like, to me, the fact that he more purely loves Maggie than Russ doesn't matter. I mean, I guess it's, like, character development to show, like, that he's a better person. But I feel like from the beginning, we knew he was a better person than Russ. Also, preference, I don't... Also, he's the main character. I don't think we said... I don't need him to... Russ and Maggie are in a relationship and... She tells Blake when she runs into him in the maze of mirrors that when she fell through a mirror, so her body started to become distorted, and Russ ran away from her. So, like, he abandons her while Blake is like, well, I'll stay with you and holds her hand. And I think they kiss, like, while... They kiss, yeah. While she's, like, all messed up. So I I understand, like, that. But, like, you're saying, like, even like you just said, like, to me, his relationship with Quinn is a lot more important. So I'm really, like, I don't really care about his relationship with Maggie, especially because at the end, like, nothing really happens with that anyway. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, there also we've not mentioned, but Cassandra keeps showing up. Like she's like in the rides and she's talking to them and she's like, I chose you particularly, Blake, because you survived the bus. And she's like, I'm experimenting with you and this is very entertaining and you're going to teach me new feelings. I'm just like, stop talking. I know I thought she was incredibly annoying, but she's also trying to kill him, which is obviously very dark. And like, it's like she... I don't know, to me, this is something that, like, sometimes villains do where they, like, they put a character through, they put the protagonist through a trial, but then they, like, try to kill the protagonist. And I'm like, so you're not actually putting them through a trial. You're just, like, 
you just want to watch them suffer because if you were putting them, if you were like trying to objectively gather data, like if you're objectively trying to see can somebody pass these seven tests, you would not step on the scale to make theirs that much harder, you know? Does that make sense? I just know. Yeah. I, I just find her annoying. And we don't get that big of an explanation of her at the end. I guess for me, I'm like, she must be like the living embodiment of chaos. But. Yeah, I also like. I'll definitely say, like, this book leaves a lot of, like, unanswered questions, which I think is kind of, like, the point. Like, it's kind of supposed to be a thriller. Like, you don't get the answers or all the answers. Also because it's mentioned a couple times that the reason, like, for the bus accident, why it happened is an orange car, like, swerved in front of the bus. And, like, that's what caused the accident. And... Blake, like, makes a connection that, like, Cassandra was the one driving the car, and there's this, like, discussion of she's, like, if, like, what Charles just said, this kind of, like, this embodiment of chaos, like, she causes, like, accidents or something to kind of, like, balance out the world, or who knows, but, like, that's never really explained and, like, given a concrete definition, so it's kind of just thrown in there. So, honestly, I just ignored most of it, because I didn't write anything down about any of that. Yeah, I was really grasping at things to, like, say because it was like I don't really even care but I guess the idea also because yeah I feel like you're invested in the story you're invested in Blake you're invested in is he gonna save Quinn is he gonna be able to get out of the rides like all this other stuff is kind of like extra noise Absolutely. and because we don't get answers at the end I feel like by the end I kind of forgot about it totally like in the, book like was the over. fact that Blake shuts down so we also get the indication that if Blake survives this will shut down the park for good and that kind of does end up happening because we didn't know whether all these people in the park were, like, in comas or whatever was going on. We don't know, like, the fact that he's liberated these people, we don't know what that means, you know? Does that make sense? Like, it, it makes it very low stakes because yeah. it, the only four characters that we care about or know, we know they all make it out. That's about it, you know? Yeah. So you're like, well, I guess... <laughs> I guess that's the conclusion. I guess that's it. But we're not quite there yet. So, back to our uh, chronological order. So, so Blake and Quinn do make it out. Blake completes his seven rides, but Quinn actually only completes, I think they say, like, five rides. So, Cassandra's like, Blake, you're free to go, but, like, Quinn, Maggie, Russ, all of them failed, so they have to stay. So, like, you have your freedom. And obviously, like, Blake is a hero. He's like... I'm not letting them, like, let's make a deal, like, so I can save my friends' lives as well. So Cassandra says she'll give the friends their freedom if Blake does one final extra ride, and Blake agrees. So the final ride, basically, is Cassandra forces Blake to replay the memory of the bus accident on repeat. And like we said before, Blake's memory of it is he's trying to open the emergency exit door in the back of the bus and then like he doesn't remember what happened so then the memory just restarts from the beginning because he's clearly misremembering he's blocked out whatever happened and so on about like round three of this replay i mean pretty quickly honestly blake remembers the true events and is able to break free of the ride and basically all it is is he was able to open the emergency exit door and then he just jumps off the edge of the bus and I do remember the reveal of the bus accident, or I remembered the reveal of the bus accident and, like, what actually happened being, like, this huge revelation when I read it the first time, 
but reading it for the second time, I felt it was very predictable or just like, just like, I don't know. I feel like obviously he got off the bus. So like, and he didn't save anybody else. Like what else, what is he going to do? Like, obviously he must've gotten the door open. Like, I guess you could have been thinking maybe somebody helped him, but he just escaped and he was just trying to block out that part of the memory because he felt guilty that he was the only survivor, like survivor's guilt. And also, I guess I also felt that it was predictable because something that I hadn't remembered about the plot was that pretty much by the beginning of the second half of the book, the reader knows that Blake was the only survivor of the accident, which I didn't realize that was revealed like so earlier on. Like it's right at the beginning of the book that they kind of mentioned that he was in an accident, but it's revealed pretty early on. I feel like that he's the only survivor. So to me, like the very like logical conclusion would be that he says that he doesn't remember, but like somehow the door was opened and he got out. So I feel like it couldn't have been that exciting, but maybe that's like, because I already read it and I knew it was going to happen. Like, it's hard for me to imagine like thinking of anything else, but like, what did you think of that, Charles? Yeah, I definitely didn't think it was obvious. I mean, obviously, yes, he survives. And I did figure that his memory had to be wrong or incomplete, but it definitely didn't I didn't realize that, like, he was going to be able to get the door open. I, I don't know what... I didn't imagine another solution. I was kind of just, like, waiting for it to be told to me. But it could have been literally anything to, like, the bus starts to explode and, like, he gets propelled up from the explosion or, like, gravity takes over and the door, like, opens and he, like, gets through. Like, I just didn't... I didn't go that far as to come up with an explanation at all. Yeah. And I think maybe the wrong word. It's not that it wasn't that I feel it was predictable. I guess it was just anticlimactic. But I think I felt, I mean, I guess, yeah, you could say that, but like, to me, there was not like more climax built up because he, like you said, we already know that he is the sole survivor. So like, I don't need to be more dramatic than that. And the fact that he has to choose to step off the bus I think that's what makes it dramatic, is that he's standing on the teetering bus, and obviously this is a little fantastical, but, like, he realizes that if he steps off, the bus falls off. Like, the counterbalance then breaks if he steps off. That's, well, that's not confirmed. That's what Cassandra says to him, and he's like, well, we'll never know that, because you don't know if that's, like, the case. Like, the bus was going to fall. But he, but what he realizes is, like, the bus was going to fall no matter what. So it's a question of whether I fell with it or not. But I think it's the fact that he has to choose to step off the bus. Yeah, he chooses. Yes, he, he chooses, chooses to, to survive. survive. And yeah. Whereas before, like I think that that is what the the reveal is, not necessarily the fact that he survives or how he survives. Because yeah, the way he survives is not exciting at all. Like the door just pops open and he's like able to get out. But I think it's the fact that he has to take the step off of the bus that makes it a big moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I also think in the memory, I do think it's nice that, like, I'm pretty sure... One of the, like, the teacher, teacher... The teacher says the to teacher go. The teacher says, like, jump, like, like save like save yourself, basically. Like, no one's gonna be mad at you because you survived. <laughs> like, everyone wanted to survive. Yeah, I really like that, too. I did, I did write that down as well, that the teacher says jump because... Yeah. And I think that it's really... I mean, the moment when he catches himself in the memory and he's holding himself... Yeah. And he's, like, talking to himself, and he's like, it's okay that you had to deal with this. It's okay that you're the only person that survived. It's okay that you couldn't help anybody. Like, I thought that was super touching. Yeah, that was super touching. I mean, I think we could all use some self-forgiveness. 
I think so too. So that's that's the whole book. That was it. And I know, Charles, you normally ask for final thoughts, but this time I'm more curious to hear what you thought of this because, like I kind of said before, I remember like really liking this book and like being really excited to read it as a kid. And it was just okay this time around for me. Like I said, I think for me, to me, I think this book, at least for me, it was more enjoyable on the reading it for the first time. And also maybe like reading it from more of a children's perspective where you're not questioning things as much. But I think I ultimately just didn't enjoy it as much because it was way more fantastical than I remembered it. Which I will say proves my point that I've said before that I don't just dislike everything Charles suggests on the show. It's just that I don't love fantastical stories as much. So... Meanwhile, your favorite book is freaking Twilight. That's different. That's a love story. So if there was a love interest, that's different. Anyway. Okay. It's still, this, the book still had a very nice message, like Charles said, of self-forgiveness and all of that. And I do think that this is a really nice kind of coming of age story. But I personally don't think I need to read this again after we covered it. I agree. I, I enjoyed it. I think it's great. I think it's age appropriate. Like, I think that middle schoolers can definitely read this. Um, I totally agree with you that, like, it doesn't really hold up for an adult. Just because, again, just speaking for myself, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But the fact that there are so many, like, ambiguities. And again, maybe that's intentional. But, like, it, it doesn't leave me feeling satisfied at the end. So... I think it leaves me feeling satisfied for Blake's story, but as far as, like, the whole world... The whole I guess, world, yeah. see it. I don't know if I feel, like, unsatisfied. I just feel not interested. Like, do you know what I mean? I mean, yes, that's literally how I felt for all of Skinjacker. Okay, we we know. I just don't care. I just don't but care. I, I like the book. I, would, I think it's great for children. I think they should read it, but I just... I personally, not that interested... Yeah, I think for me, like, out of now we've covered three different, two novels of Neil Schusterman's and one series, I still think my favorite is Bruiser. I think that that's the most powerful story and most interesting, and I think that one translates more to, like, reading when you're a little bit older because it deals with such heavy topics. I would agree. Whereas Skinjacker is still very childish. And if you have no interest in, like, the afterlife, like, you're not going to enjoy that. And then this, to me, like, it's also, like, a little bit more childish where for, like, the world building, it's not super clear. Yeah. I, and just, like, the story in general. Again, nothing wrong with this book. I really do think it's great for middle schoolers. Just not not for me personally. It's not, it's not a subject matter I'm interested in. And it's not intellectually interesting enough for me to read it now. But I... But I would say, I would say for like age appropriate kind of like thriller books, Excellent. I think if you're, if you're, um, yeah, if you're a middle schooler and you're interested in more like this, this is a good book for that. If you kind of want to be like on the edge of your seat. I think it'd be a great a book to scary. read in like a sixth grade English class. Yeah. Like you can, there's a lot that you can do in terms of symbolism, like teaching people, teaching children to identify literary, literary devices, symbolism, allegory, etc. I mean, even the fact that her name is Cassandra, like, that's an allusion to the Greek Cassandra. You know, I think it, again, perfectly great for that age group. So, 
no regrets that we read it. Not like, you know, some books on this podcast where we're just pulling ourselves. Uh, in cart. <laughs> I was about to say, in cart and the final Divergent book, just like clawing our way. I still say Divergent because in cart as a whole, I could have, we could have just scrapped that. Like we could have yeah, never read that. Yeah, at least Divergent one, fine. interested. A Divergent, Divergent two, we needed to cover concept, that. interesting. We needed to cover that. Divergent three, throw it out. But Inkheart, even literally the first reading for Inkheart, we were like clawing our way through it. <laughs> and this is, is how this? you know, readers, this is, this is our 100th episode, li- readers, listeners, our 100th episode, we didn't, there are no series that we started and we're like, we can't cover this. We didn't scrap anything. We fully read all these books in this order and committed to them, even when we couldn't stand them. Yep. We powered through. And I think that's a p- good place to wrap it up. So that wraps up Full Tilt by Neil Schusterman and this Sad Boy Vibes unit. Boy, obviously, spelled B-O-I, as I've said before. Thankfully, we are moving into some true fantasy next week. The Savvy Trilogy by Ingrid Law. And since Asia doesn't like fantasy so much, my next pick after Savvy is going to be another really great fantasy series that my sister and I bonded this over. Is, this is harassment. This is bullying. I am really not looking forward to Also, like, just makes me, like, the villain on the show where I'm like, this is awful. What are we reading? I mean, again, I'm not saying that you're not, you're allowed to have your preferences, but it's how your preference, it's how your predisposition to anything you don't know is as... It's not anything I don't know. It's fantasy. I've enjoyed all the books that you've recommended that were not fantasy. You just recommend or you well, read. Well, after Savvy, a we're going to read. Books. I have an idea for a, a fantasy series that involves dragons. God. This is an audio format, but the abject disgust on Asia's face at the word dragons. Okay. If you do read ahead, we're going to be reading the first half of the first book, Savvy by Ingrid Law. So that's going to be chapters 1 through 18. And as always, if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm at Seashells on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode or our show, just make sure you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. Remember that writing a review is going to be really important right now because you can enter our 100th episode giveaway. So again, rate review as always, but this time go to the Nerd Party Instagram account and follow the instructions there for our giveaway. Today is the last day to enter. Yes, make sure to enter the giveaway, hit that subscribe, and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.